0: Note, this podcast does not discuss nor endorse the idea of discussing stupid ideas, because we all know there are no stupid ideas. Hello, and welcome to Discussing Stupid, the podcast where we will tackle everything digitally stupid, from stupid users and the crazy things they do, to stupid practices and the people who use them. We'll explore the stupid things we all do, and maybe even come up with a few ideas on how to do things better. And now that I got your attention, let's start discussing stupid. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this broadcast of the podcast. I'm Virgil Kill, your host and principal human solutions architect at Hi Monkey. Today's episode is a very exciting topic. Well maybe not an exciting topic, but a very necessary topic. And we're going to talk about the GDPR. If you're not familiar with the GDPR, the GDPR is the General Data Protection Regulation. It is getting ready to get implemented here this coming May by the European Union is going to really redefine how people's privacy are protected in a digital world. So what could be considered a necessary thing, but also something that is going to be very paramount here, even for US-based companies and other countries outside the European Union. Whether you feel it hits the marker, kind of greatly overreaches. In the world of web, it's a very important thing and it's important that you know what to do. So today joining me, I have Dave Komarik. David is a product owner at Kentico Software, a CMS based out of Bruno, Czech Republic. And David and I are going to be talking about how GDPR really affects public websites around the world. Well, welcome, David. Really appreciate you joining us. Can we first start by you telling us a little bit about yourself and kind of what you do at Kentico?
1: First, thanks for having me here. So what I'm doing in Kentico, I'm a product owner responsible for content management and online marketing. So my main responsibilities are basically to understand the market and our customers, find out what their needs, what their issues are, what they're facing, and then somehow transform it into product features.
0: Great, great. So let's just go ahead and get right into it. As you and I have talked about before, you know, one of the big things with the GDPR, obviously, is what we do in our public websites and all the different things in there. And to me, it's just crazy because when you actually read through the regulations, which unfortunately is part of my job, I actually had to do. almost needed to take Red Bull and everything else to try and keep myself awake during it. But overall, reading through those, one of the things, that I kind of came upon as, wow. Uh, as a matter of fact, I, I just provided a report to a client about their website. And, and the first question I got back was, are you kidding? And they, they thought maybe that I was over-exaggerating what it really takes to be compliant with GDPR. So when Kentico decided to start down this path Of actually building into their version 11 GDPR compliance. What were some of the things you saw out there from your clients in the digital marketing space that you knew you were going to have to deal with upfront to really be successful in meeting all the
1: different nuances of the GDPR? Yeah, well, let me start with maybe a little bit more, uh, you know, general approach, because it's, it's all about, you know, the actual approach, how you're, uh, you know, what principles you're looking at, how you're working with everything. So what we saw is that many marketers actually focused on gathering, you know, as much data as possible. So all the names, email addresses and company details and all the tracking of user actions, you know, just in case, sometimes without even having a real or verified purpose for such data. They had no reports, for example, or maybe they just didn't use them. We therefore decided to map all the data flows in Candico, you know, so that marketing teams actually understand what data is being captured and they can somehow limit the scope to comply with GDPR you know, in regards to the data minimization principle. So that was probably the first thing that we saw. Second, we also saw many marketing teams repurposing gathered data, such as email addresses from registrations, for example. They basically took them and also used them for various campaigns and newsletters without a legal basis. And this is not OK, right? And maybe a first thing that I remember, uh, we noticed that some marketing teams had actually no idea that a single data subject may actually be represented several times within a system, such as being a customer in the online store, or at the same time, the recipient of a newsletter. So this led, together with uh, the repurposing of gathered email addresses I mentioned, to the fact that Certain customers simply couldn't have their data, let's say, properly forgotten, even when there were no more reasons actually to keep them.
0: Yeah, you know, one of the things that I see a lot in the world of digital marketing is, and and one of the interesting things is, to me, is how broad scoped the GDPR tries to be, especially from the avenue of, of consents and the right to be forgotten, the right to access and that is... It doesn't just stop with your website. It's what you do with that data once it's on your website. So if somebody fills out a form and they have a contact form and they fill it out, they're doing it for the said purpose of contact me. You know, I'd like to be contacted. But organizations take that data and they use it to market. They use it to track. They use it for all these other things. Well, it even goes beyond that because you could maybe do all that inside of your website itself. But then on top of that, now what happens if that contact form emailed a person to their email box? And that person's information is now in somebody else's email box. And that person forwards it on to another individual that now goes to that individual. So now it's in their email box. Well, maybe most both of those email boxes plus the website also have backups of data that are going through. And it's just amazing how much it compounds as what you are. But I was talking to you about the recent study I did. And one of the things I found was exactly what you said as well, which was, Most organizations, I don't think, realize that they actually have multiple data points for the single contact because maybe they filled out multiple forms or, like you said, subscribed to a newsletter and also reached a contact, maybe, you know, did something to gain access if it was an e-commerce site to, to subscribe to be able to purchase something. So that's one of the big things. I really found that Kentico's kind of solution for the consent Piece and doing that, can you talk a little bit about why you guys decided to do kind of that level of integration, especially from the consent side? Because for me, when you start talking about organizations outside the European Union and where they're probably most liable, the consent piece is probably one of the bigger spots that there could be
1: issues. Right. Well, when we learned how much work does GDPR pose on our partners and clients actually when trying to comply? We decided to address, you know, at least those areas that are somehow directly related to Kentico's core functionality as a CMS, including uh, all the online marketing features. Of course, Kentico as a company, including our Kentico websites, faces GDPR as well. So it just made sense to share what we learned with our partners and clients through the feature set. Oh, yeah.
0: One of the interesting things I find from that, and I'd like to talk a little bit more of that because I, I think that's important from that side is when you started to go down this path of looking at GDR compliance, did you guys just read the regulations and do it yourself or how did you kind of get to that point where you understood what you needed to do inside Kentico to make it compliant.
1: Right. Well, this was quite a challenging task to do, actually, because we started at this at the same you know point where, where everybody else, uh, that means basically zero knowledge about the actual GDPR. Uh, so we decided to actually cooperate with several consulting and legal companies here, as well as in uh, some other countries in order to get as much information. And so we basically had to, you know, go through the system, you know, introduce the system and then look what are the main issues that, you know, websites and e-commerce stores and, you know, intranets and so on actually have to deal with if they are built on our system and then look for where we can help, what we can address.
0: And where were some of those areas that you found the most challenging to tackle from that side?
1: Right. Well, the most complex part was probably dealing with personal data and consents in regards to online marketing features such as contact tracking, forms, personalization, email marketing, etc. For many such activities, consents from data subjects may be on public websites and we focus on implementing support for, you know, the most common scenarios. So these may actually include something like gathering consents on homepages in order to track visitors' behavior which can then be used for personalization, also, you know, obtaining consents when submitting forms or subscribing to newsletters. We also looked into how to make use of such consents when performing, let's say, segmentation or personalization. And the most important part here, we made sure that it's somehow possible to behave according to the Visitors wishes in case consent is revoked, because this is something that GDPR strictly, you know, says. Now, when complying with GDPR, it will be definitely challenging. But when it comes to websites built on Kentico, I hope that, you know, like once uh, all the, you know, company processes that are related to GDPR will be somehow established and also the staff is trained to GDPR, it shouldn't be that hard. I hope to actually build it later on.
0: Yeah, I mean, you you bring up such a good point. I wish I I probably shouldn't pick on it considering it's it's a government entity. But, you know, when you talk about the amount of effort it takes to comply with something like all the provisions of the GDPR, I mean, you know, I I would almost argue myself, will a single organization inside the EU government itself be compliant to track data? I, I always look at it like, you know i've been doing this for a long time and and we can't even get a client to be have good governance around a single product that they own and basically gdpr is by the way you need to have good governance around everything you need to understand your entire data flow in its entirety i don't disagree this is a great practice i also see it is is a very unrealistic i i think it's going to be very interesting when the GDPR actually goes into effect in May as to what happens from there. Because the question really to me is twofold. Number one is what's going to happen to the 80% of companies that will not be fully compliant. I mean, I think if you send an email to another person with somebody's name, technically you could be out of compliance. And the second part is what can the EU really do about it? And I, I don't say that flippantly. I say that as Are they going to sue 587,000 different organizations in the first two months of this? What's going to happen from that? And and I have a feeling they want to go after some big fishes up front that they probably feel like have violated these type of policies for a very long time. And then, but it's going to be interesting how this is going to come down to smaller organizations. And so when you were doing your research into the GDPR, I'm kind of curious, I'm assuming, you know, you guys probably spent some time talking with customers throughout the European Union, but also uh, some of your customers in other countries. What did you guys learn from them? Or what did you see somebody who's not a Google or an Apple or a Amazon or something? something like that, somebody on a smaller scale. Where did you really see, well, here's their potential liability in compliance compared to to some of the
1: big organizations? I believe that most companies will adopt some changes sooner or later, you know, even if they are outside the EU, because larger companies usually target at least some European countries with their services. Most websites, even smaller companies, actually track EU visitors' behavior, so GDPR effectively applies to them as well. Also, you know, another reason I see that most companies will want to adopt something is that GDPR is not the only regulation meant to address data protection. There are new or let's say updated data protection regulations, you know, emerging all around the world, you know, like Brazil, uh, Switzerland, Belarus, you know, Bermuda, or even the uh, Cayman Islands have something now. So therefore waiting and hoping that it will not affect your business may not. Pay off in in the long term. Of course, you you had a good question. What is EU gonna do about it? We had such questions as well because we do have partners and clients in mainly United States, Canada, you know, UK, Australia, and so on. They are concerned, you know, that maybe they will not need to do anything. Usually, there is always something that's in there. You know, maybe, maybe you just take care of the hosting, but you have access to the personal data. Maybe you are just a data processor. You will still need to have some agreement updates at least. So
0: what do you really think the consequences of companies, you know, in other countries violating GDPR from an EU perspective? What do you, what do you really think? I mean, kind of look past the, the big guys, but some of the smaller companies, what do you think some of their consequences could be from when GDPR comes in action?
1: Firstly there will definitely be you know some uh, things that the European Union can do to even smaller companies even uh, outside the borders of European Union the thing is uh, they will probably use uh, local authorities to enforce some of the laws and based on uh, how the cooperation works there may be some penalties or something like that we have also talked to lawyers you know who told us some Example stories, you know, like, for example, if the CTO of a company who doesn't want to comply to GDPR, even though it should, cannot be punished for some reason, you know, uh, for example, the country is not cooperating with the European Union, then it may actually happen that, for example, the CEO... Of such country can actually travel to EU for a vacation and he can get actually arrested at the borders. I mean, I don't really think that this is going to happen on a daily basis. The thing is, uh, I believe that most companies will adopt some changes sooner or later anyways. I mean, larger companies, they always, you know, target some European countries with their services and goods and the smaller ones at least, uh, you know, track EU visitors on their websites. Also, the reason why I think everyone will actually want to comply to some extent is that GDPR is not the only regulation meant to address data protection. There are new or updated data protection regulations emerging all around the world, not only in the EU or US, but also countries like Brazil, Switzerland, uh, Belarus, uh, you know, Bermudas, even Cayman Islands. So, therefore, waiting just and hoping you know that it will not affect your business may simply not pay off
0: yeah and i think you know overall and i actually just had a conversation yesterday about this with with a customer and i said you know a lot of these are just good practices i mean even if you're not going to have a lot of ramifications from the European Union. Uh, they're probably just good things to do. And, and you know, the U.S. is obviously, compared to a lot of those countries, when it comes to data privacy, is, is well behind the curve of a lot of other nations. But at the same time, I think we're catching up. And I think, you know, there's going to be things that happen here over the next few years that probably go more in a line. But one of the ones that I find very interesting, and, and we've kind of, had some good conversations about this in the past is this whole concept of privacy by design where, you know, it's almost like a duh, you know, that's great. Everybody should have it. But you know, when you read into the actual regulations themselves, it's basically, can the EU really come in and audit a foreign company and sit there and, you know, hire somebody to audit them and look at they meet their data privacy access. And I think there's going to be some interesting things. And, you know, most of my customers, I've kind of said, well, we know what we know, but we're not going to really know until they actually start to enforce it. And we see what happens because, I mean, there's really the crux of it is, until they actually start to enforce it and they start going after organizations that are outside the EU's sphere of influence or really even inside the EU's sphere of influence. We don't really know how that's all going to pan out.
1: Right. You know, just to add to this, the thing is actually, you know, if you don't even try, you know, then maybe they will find a way how to you know punish you how to how to get some money for you know breaching some of those privacy designs and so on if you try your your best or at least try to some extent you know then the court more most likely will or you know not even the court maybe it will be a local authority will basically say you know we can see that you really try to stick to you know those principles that's okay maybe you know next time just try to do it a little bit better you know or in a different way And it's okay, You know, no fines, nothing like that.
0: Right. Yeah. And so when you guys kind of started going through and really putting together what you thought Kentico should do around this process, can you kind of point out two or three items that you really saw that you thought, you know, you saw a lot of your customers just compared to the GDPR or just data practices in the first place? had bad practices and that you needed to kind of tackle more first than than other pieces?
1: Yeah, I believe as uh, we talked about it previously, you know, mostly it's about, you know, just gathering so much data. That's the biggest issue. So we thought, you know, like maybe let's tell our partners, you know, let's tell our customers, you know, what data Kentico is working with and so on, what data they may actually expect to get from customers, what kind of tracking data there is on the websites and so on to understand it better and just gather such data that are really necessary for their business to grow. Also, the second thing was, you know, Maybe most of the businesses, uh, what uh, we saw were doing unintentionally, but basically not having legal basis for anything they did. So repurposing stuff and so on.
0: Yeah. and, And definitely one of the pieces that really kind of takes that to another level is not only the stuff that you collect, but that stuff that you know, other organizations collect on your behalf. I mean, if you have a website inside something like Kentico or something like that, you're probably considered the data controller that you control the data in that. But if you have Google Analytics running on top of it, and if you have some type of external marketing system or or anything else like that kind of plugged into there, or if you're pushing information from the website into a CRM or something like that, you're really kind of opening yourself up to even more. And and you You have to make sure that you do that. I think one of the most typical things that I probably see out there is those organizations that use those really large third party emailing marketing systems and, you know, maybe have a website and, you know, you have the subscribe to our newsletter type of piece and then they're doing it. Well, from that side, when you actually look at GDPR, not only do you have to make sure that if somebody asks to be forgotten that you can actually work with that company to forget it, but then on top of it also have what if that company has a breach of their security and all the other components of it. So I'm kind of curious, you know, Kentico has a lot of functionality internally, but Kentico also recognizes that it has a large third-party ecosystem around it. Have you guys had discussions with some of your third-party vendors that that have functionality that layers on top of Kentico and kind of provided some guidance, or at least had some discussions with them about things they would need to do?
1: Right. Well, you know, as we do have some, you know, those, as we call it, the technology partnership, then we look at such integrations and we try that our, you know, technology partners stick to the same standards and uh, the same, you know, policies as can internally for its modules. So, for example, you know, if uh, we do have some e-commerce integration, we try to work with the company, with the representatives to actually somehow, you know, say, OK, so the roadmap should be similar to ours, you know. So if, uh, if it comes to, you know, consents, visitor tracking, you know, fulfilling the right to be forgotten and so on, we try to enforce the same level of standards as we do internally.
0: Yeah. And, and that's, to me is going to be a huge piece too, because a lot of organizations I work with, you know, they don't just use a tool. They have you know, 10, 15 tools that they use to pass data back and forth. I mean, heck, even us, we we have a lot of tools that we use to kind of manage different aspects. And, you know, when you start looking at those tools and you start looking at that entire thing, when you start talking about, you know, kind of applying GDPR to your entire web presence and everything involved in there, this could be relatively massive. So, David, before we go, I kind of have one other question for you, since you guys have really deep dived into this, where I'm sure every company is well down the path of actually figuring out how to comply with GDPR. Let's just pretend for a second that there are organizations out there that even this close to it actually coming into effect have not actually even started looking at things. Since you guys have went down this journey, and I'm sure you've had discussions with others that have, where would you really recommend that they start this process of really looking at what they need to do to be compliant?
1: Right. Well, From what I recall, you know, the actual start was uh, quite tough because the first thing is you have to basically, you know, somehow learn it, you know, understand the principles so that you can then work on it internally. My recommendation would be to get a consultant or a firm that can actually give you all the education related to GDPR and educate your internal staff, you know, so the managers of individual departments, so they can actually teach the rest of the company. And the second step right after that would be ma- basically start working on the, we can call it the data flow, how, how and what data you're collecting where, for what purpose and so on, who's uh, able to actually read it, you know, print it out and so on. So that would be my recommendation. First, try to learn as much and use somebody who's good at it, who can teach you well. Just don't try to do it all on your own. And then look at the data and what you're doing with it.
0: And that's such a great point, because I was going to say that using somebody who's good at it and really knows their stuff. And, and I hate to say it. I think that's going to be one of the harder things to find right now, because, you know, today I get, you know, probably on average four to five emails a day about the GDPR from different organizations and and I think unfortunately there's a lot of organizations that are taking advantage of this and and basically kind of using scare tactics like you know the EU is going to shut down their website or or you know you know bill them a million dollars you know the first day that it that it's open but at the same time the one thing I look at is they're all interpreting things very very differently and kind of making their own conclusions and then trying to sell you a service basically to help that, have them do it so I think one of the things that people Really need to do there is they need to find that trusted partner or find that organization, and obviously some of them, uh, at least part of it, is going to have to have some legal background to it. But finding those that that really understand this stuff and can kind of help them out,
1: right? I mean, basically, if I could conclude, you know, uh, there are two, let's say, slogans or motives that I've heard, and I think both of them actually apply to GDPR and the compliance. The first one is you know, don't be evil. And the second one is try to be the good neighbor, you know? So if you try to stick with this and, Try to, you know, do your website, design your website and all, all your business from the perspective of privacy and personal data and sticking to these two slogans. I, I think you should be OK.
0: That's a really good point in there. So, Well, thank you, David, really a lot for joining me on this show. I think we had a great conversation and some really good insight there. So if people wanted to learn more about Kentico and your offerings around GDPR, is there a way that they could find out more?
1: Yeah, definitely. There's a whole bunch of sources on GDPR. In Kentico, we decided to have our own blog. So on kentico.com slash blog, we also try to put as much materials related to GDPR and especially GDPR related to websites and web content management and so on. So that's one of the sources. And the other sources that I would recommend are definitely the electronic versions of the GDPR itself, where you can find a lot of interesting facts
0: great. And of course, you can go to Kentico.com to find out a lot of that information. So thank you, David. We appreciate it, especially coming all the way from the Czech Republic to have a discussion with us and have a great rest of your day.
1: Thanks for having me here.
0: Welcome back to the segment that I like to call the stupid buzz. The stupid buzz is where I take a buzzword that technology has kind of taken and basically our industry has made it meaningless. And there's probably no bigger word that's been made meaningless than the word governance. And uh, since we were talking about GDPR, I thought I'd talk a little bit about governance, which I thought would kind of fit into this. Governance means a lot of things to a lot of people. But overall, the word governance came from the Latin verb gubernare or more originally from the Greek word, kubane, I don't know if I pronounce that right, which means to steer. It basically means to take something somewhere. But the reality is, is that most people don't really understand what governance is and tend to think of it either from the IT side, where it's technical controls and that people need to put limitations on how we use the software and how we manage our systems, or we kind of look at it from the business side and we look at it for you know the rules and regulations about how people develop content and that kind of stuff. But overall, when I look at governance and what I really think it means, years and years ago when I first actually started speaking in 2008, I gave a talk called Facilitating the Government Out of Governance. And where I really focus is that governance can be a necessary evil, but it's something that should be really two things. One, it should actually help people in doing their job. Otherwise, it shouldn't be all about limitations, but it should really be about actually doing something good for them. And number two is it should actually be something that is attainable. Otherwise, if you're going to have some type of management structure in place around your content editing, maybe your marketing processes and that, it should actually be something you can measure and actually control, not something that you need to just put on paper. So the joke years ago used to be that governance plans, you know, you got paid by the Pound, otherwise, how thick the document is. Today we really kind of look at governance as one of those things that should be something that is maintainable and manageable by people and that. And so when you kind of look at it overall and you ask yourself, do you need governance in that? Well, the reality is, is that it really does depend on what you're trying to do and whether you can actually enforce it and so a lot of times what happens is we build governance plans basically kind of to shirk responsibility which actually instead of taking responsibility for something and we want to do it so if you're going to have governance don't just be a person that gives it lip service and create some document that's not going to be used at all but actually do something of meaning with it Thank you for joining me on the podcast today. If you enjoyed yourself and thought that we had some good information, feel free to subscribe to us through iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud and many other services. Or you can visit us on the web at discussingstupid.com where you can find our show notes and also learn more about the different other sessions and episodes that we're doing right now. If you'd like to send a comment, you can send a comment to our email at me at discussingstupid.com or you can follow us on Twitter at Discuss Stupid. And so I hope you continue to listen in to our future podcasts. So until next time we do, you can just start discussing stupid on your own.